Hola y bienvenidos a la Daily Hustle. Soy Enrique Barrens y presidente de esa mejor cerveza. No abate por no feel the network. Will the thrill clerk not here this morning? Miguelito Sandiaguito not here this morning. And typically on a Daily Hustle morning, so not to deceive you guys, they won't be here unless they make a special appearance. But we do like to come on here and salute our boys each and every single day properly. Yes, 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 yes. Woo. Remember this, folks, when we are juiceful, we are useful, and we were juiceless. We are. That's right, class. We're fucking useless. A very pleasant good morning to you on the 28th day of December. It is Thursday morning. And there is no written electronic email communication this morning because why? Well, I was playing pickleball at 6.15 a.m. So did not write a DH for today. That said, we have James Allen here. As a man thinketh to go ahead and regale all of us with some words before we get on out of here. This is going to be an abbreviated edition of the... Deuce is wild, Daily Hustle. We're going to go about 15 minutes. And first and foremost, what do we got to get to? Our title sponsor, Bet Online. The only people that don't get time off this time of year are the pro athletes and Bet Online. That's right. They're working through the holiday season with the NFL and bull season, NBA in full swing over the holidays. Bet Online is not taking a second off to make sure you have. All the up to second odds, news, and info. Bet online has all of your sports wagering info available that you need with desktop, mobile. Get it wherever, whenever you want it. Just remember to use the promo code BLEAV, capital B L E A V, to get your 50% off welcome bonus. Bet online where. The action is also don't forget about our product partners at KT Tape. Bam, QR code upper right hand corner for you. Get yourself some of the pro oxygen tape by hitting that QR code. I'm uh, not a doctor, not a scientist, did not stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night, but I can tell you through experience this shit works when you apply the tape, lifts the skin, promotes blood flow to the area, reduces inflammation, and alleviates pain kt tape deflaming muscles since its creation and lastly to focus for the show for my pickleball games for life we got ourselves a shot of glory that's right verge try verge.com this is lemon honey cannabis all rolled into one mm. cheers to each and every one of you that is fan Fantastic. Okay, let's get right into the action today. Major League Baseball came out with some really cool statistics that topped the 2023 season. And those are the stat cast numbers that we all have become obsessed with, at least 
us diehard baseball fans. So I want to rip through them with you guys. Hardest hit ball of the year. Ronald Acuna Jr., 121 miles per hour. Wild. Longest home run. Shohei Otani, not surprising. 493 feet. That was on June 30th. The fastest pitch. Any guesses on the fastest pitch for this year? I mean, we really are entering new territory. 104 miles per hour. Holy shitballs. Johan Duran of the Minnesota Twins. The last pitcher with a 104 mile per hour pitch was nearly five years ago. And that was by Jordan Hicks. But my goodness, it was 104.8. I'm still interested to see what Nolan Ryan would have thrown. Because by all accounts, they do say that he was and still is the hardest thrower of all time. And essentially, if you watch the documentary Fastball, it'll tell you that if you use today's metrics in the way they measure velocity, he would have topped out at somewhere around 108 miles per hour. Luke Rayleigh, by the way, is uh, going to get the credit for the slowest strikeout pitch of the year. 50 miles per hour against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Mitch Keller, most movement on a strikeout glove side, 26 inches. This ball moved over two feet. It says there were a few pitchers who generated 26 inches of break on a strikeout in 2023. Keller, the Rays, Jason Adam, and the Marlins, Andrew Nardi. That's over two feet of movement. But this strikeout from Keller is where he got the Mets' Brandon Nim on a beautiful sweeper. I mean, this thing starts in the right-hander's batter's box and ends up in the left hand. I mean, it is just absolutely fucking filthy. It says most movement on a strike on the arm side. This would be essentially a sinker or a split. It says, now let's look at the pitches going the other direction. It should be no surprise that Williams' airbender changeup is Devin Williams of the Brewers. Stands out this was among the nastiest airbenders. I mean, they're creating new terminology now of the season. So Devin Williams has that. Then you have the fastest inside the park home run. A lot of controversy around this because surprised that this isn't Ellie De La Cruz, but it's Bobby Witt Jr. 14.29 seconds. The fastest first to third was Ellie De La Cruz. And it wasn't fastest first to third. It's actually fastest triple. 10.83 seconds. The slowest home run shot, in case you're wondering. Ready for this? 34. I would have guessed that it was from Chad's Jazz Chisholm on the one where he did the passes and the shot and everything else. But 
Jordan is the one who takes the cake here. 34.45 seconds. Fastest sprint speed on a stolen base. Ellie David Cruz. 30.8 feet per second. Why do they do it like that? I don't get it. I guess because it's just the best way to say that they're going to cover this amount of ground in a certain amount of time as opposed to just using top velocity. How about the Giants' Patrick Bailey with the best pop time? 1.71 second. He's next level, man. He is really something else behind the dish. The Giants got themselves a good one for a long time, at least from a defensive catching perspective. Nolan Jones of the Rockies had the hardest outfield assist, 102. Hardest infield assist was Ellie David Cruz at 99 miles per hour. That was on a relay. So when you get the momentum behind it, that's why outfielders are going to throw harder. They have all this momentum carrying you this way. Well, the hardest infield assist was when Ellie David Cruz threw out Corbin Carroll at home on that 99.8 mile per hour throw. Hardest infield assist on a non-relay again was... Ellie did a cruise on looked like a pretty routine ball to shortstop 97.9 miles per hour. And how about Corbin Carroll making the catch of the year? He traveled 70 some odd feet in three seconds. It had a 5% catch probability. And that is that. So just want to hit a little bit of the stat cast news and data. Let's celebrate those guys. On to a couple current event items happening right now. One of those being Russell Wilson has been benched for the Denver Broncos. I don't know what the fuck's going on over there. It says Russell Wilson didn't speak to the media after getting benched by the Broncos, but the veteran quarterback did offer a short reaction on the move on social media. After taking the day to digest the news, Wilson jumped on social media just after 11 p.m. on Wednesday to send out a simple eight-word tweet. God's got me. Looking forward to what's next. I like that. I do. And I may be mistaken, but Russell Wilson seems to be a worker. He seems to be somebody who cares. So... For Sean Payton at this point in the season, when I think they're still in the hunt, now they're barely in the hunt. But at this point of the season, to back away from your dude, I don't know. I don't know if that is the answer. Now, the backup quarterback that they're bringing in, and, and this is a, a bit fascinating because the guy's barely played at all in the NFL. But they gave him like a two-year, $5 million contract to be the backup. And apparently, Sean Payton's like, offense sees a spark. Now's the time. Well, it also seems to be that they're going to have an out on this contract. Let's see. It says the QB has a no trade clause in his deal, which means the situation is almost certainly going to end with him getting cut after the season. Once they release him, the Broncos will have to take an $85 million dead cap hit. The small silver lining for the Broncos is if they designate Wilson as a post-June 1 release, 
They can divide that hit over the 2024 season. 35 million in, let's see, 2024 and 49 in 2025. But the Broncos do end up cutting Wilson. Their decision to trade for him and give him a new contract will certainly go down as two of the worst personnel decisions in NFL history. To make the trade happen back in March 2022, the Broncos sent all the following to Seattle. Noah Font, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, a 2022 first round draft pick was Charles Cross, a 2022 second round draft pick, Boye Moffin, a 2022 fifth round draft pick, Tyreek Smith, a 2023 first round pick, Devin Witherspoon, and a 2023 second round pick, Derek Call. Holy fuck. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's a crime. Good on the Seattle Seahawks. And you got to figure that if Pete Carroll was willing to part with Russell Wilson, uh, he saw the beginning of the downfall. Again, I like Russell Wilson. I'm going to root for Russell Wilson. I hope that he has a massive resurgence. There was times this year where he actually looked really good. But I can't believe what the Sea Chickens got in return from the Denver Broncos. And now here we are just a couple years later. This is such a what-have-you-done-for-me league. It really is. And if you haven't done anything lately, they don't give a fuck. It is. There's the boot, man. They really do not give a shit. Onward and upward. Okay. Uh, Florida State is claiming that should they be the only undefeated team in the Power Five conferences, they should be national champions. Do they have a point, even though they missed the 14 playoff? Right or wrong, they still missed the 14 playoff. So, if this whole thing does play out, where Florida State goes on to beat Georgia, and then you had, say, Michigan, who is one of the undefeated teams, they end up losing to Alabama, would they be able to stake claim to a national championship? I think the answer to that is you're fucking damn right they could. Why do you have to go and do you if you're the voters off of what that game says? So we're going to go back basically to what we dealt with before, which is going to be a split national champion. Let's read the uh, article here. It says Florida State quarterback. Brock Glenn said the Seminoles should absolutely be considered national champions if they end the season as the only undefeated Power 5 team in college football. Glenn said the prospect of raising a banner has been discussed among players. And he said the Seminoles remain focused on finishing out an undefeated season in the Capital One Orange Bowl in spite of a playoff snub and a host of bowl game opt-outs. The Orange Bowl is an awesome bowl, one of the best in the country, And we have a great opportunity in front of us playing Georgia. 
Glenn said on Thursday, it's still a big game for us, and we're taking it serious. We're focused on the guys we have here to help us win the game. Well, look, I get it. I think there's a very good chance that Georgia goes in there and just absolutely fucking steamrolls Florida State. Very, very good chance. So, before you guys start talking about a national championship, look, I think Georgia, once they absolutely pound the Seminoles, they could also stake claim to a national championship, even though they had that one bullshit loss to Alabama in the last minute on a field goal. That's it. That's their only loss. So, uh, I just feel like we tried to put a playoff system in place for a reason. Not to get to this. Almost every single year, it's worked out pretty well. Not this year. This year, there will be massive, massive, massive arguments after it's all said and done. Florida State was leapfrogged by two one-loss teams in the playoff committee's final ranking, setting up the possibility that the Seminoles would be the last undefeated team from a Power 5 league still standing if number one Michigan, 13-0, number two Washington, both lose in the college football playoff. That's a tantalizing prospect for the Seminoles. It's only right, linebacker Kaylin DeRoach said. Nothing else needs to be said if we're the only undefeated team. Okay. I, I don't know. Actually, I, I do know. They 1,000% have the right to claim it. If they are the only undefeated team. Now, here's the funny thing. I think they are going to be the only undefeated team. I really do. I think Washington, I think they're good. They're not that good. Michigan's good. But is Michigan good enough to take down Alabama? That I definitely cannot guarantee you. As a matter of fact, I think they're like really short favorites in that game. So we'll see how it plays out. And then we can let the arguing continue for the next however many months. All right. Lastly here, just because I thought this was really, really cool. This is a crowdsourcing article about all of the sports venues that have been used to accommodate accommodate other sports. And the big one this year was Nebraska playing a volleyball game in their football stadium in which the contest drew 92,003 people. Just fucking crazy. So I just randomly ran across this article that talked about all of these venues that have hosted these events and not shockingly records numbers of people were able to go and here they are. So volleyball was 92,003. I just mentioned it was Nebraska versus Omaha. Nebraska fans love cheering for a winner in Packy Memorial Stadium. With the football team struggling, the volleyball squad gave the Cornhuskers faithful something to cheer about. All right, how about this one? In 2016, remember this? Tennessee versus Virginia Tech 
the battle at Bristol, that's a uh, 156,990 people attend that college football game. Looks so cool with the football field and middle of the track. Can't be great from a fan viewing experience. Hopefully, they have big boards everywhere. How about tennis? The battle of the sexes. Bobby Riggs taunted women's tennis players. Billie Jean King put him in his place with a three-set exhibition victory on September 20, 1973. The match was seen by 90 million people worldwide and was held at the Houston Astrodome. That just looks like this little tiny little thing. Awesome. So that was the biggest ever for tennis. How about college basketball? 55,646 was Iowa versus DePaul. How much do Iowa fans love home state star Caitlin Clark on October 15, 2023? A crowd of more than 55,000 packed into the school's Kinnick Stadium to see her triple-double help lead the Hawkeyes past the Blue Demons. I mean, this is Chicks College Basketball. WNBA, well, it says Liberty versus Fever night sessions at Arthur Ashe Stadium, the main court of U.S. Open, have a reputation for being on a wild side. Well, the evening of July 19, 2008, the iconic venue saw something I'd never witnessed before. Hoops, the Liberty Outdoor Classic drew 20,000 fans to side Indiana beat New York 71-55 in the first outdoor game of WNBA history. And then lastly, here, the largest crowd to ever attend a Major League Baseball game, at least I believe it to be, 92,394. I think we could top that. I mean, you're telling me we right on par with women's volleyball? Come on. It was the Dodgers versus the White Sox at the L.A. Coliseum. Unlike the other venues on this list, the Dodgers hosting Game 3 of the 1959 World Series in front of more than 92,000 fans at L.A. Coliseum wasn't a one-off. The cavernous football venue was the team's home for four years. To cram in a dime in the left field fence was just 250 feet from home plate. Gosh, damn, I would have loved to play there. Here's a good look at it. So cool. Anyway, everyone have a great day. We will be back on tomorrow morning with the Daily Hustle. And before we get on out of here, here is a little James Allen for you. As a man thinketh. The topic? Serenity. Calmness of mind is one of the beautiful jewels of wisdom. It is a result of long and patient effort in self-control. It's present. His presence is an indication of ripened experience and of a more than ordinary knowledge of the laws and operations of thoughts. <sighs> Serenity. Everyone have a great day. So